0: I'm going to um, talk a little bit about um, this this evening, about something that um, we've, we've actually had a small group meeting um, in, on Sunday mornings during Sunday school, and we've been reading through the book of Galatians and studying the book of Galatians a little bit, and um, uh, something that um, I mentioned, was mentioned there um, a couple of weeks ago, I want to uh, expound on a little bit, um, but, but title it a little different, and uh, I want to talk about about the sacrifices in the Bible, a sacrifice in the Bible. And this is nothing new, probably, to, to a lot of us here, but hopefully it'll be a good refresher and, and just a... One of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite messages to preach is messages that just exalt the work of Christ. And I think that, I don't think you can ever go wrong by studying about what he's done for us, because it's, it was a tremendous feat. It was something that, um, what Christ has done for you and I is something that nobody else could have done. Um, not ourselves, not a friend, not a brother, not a parent, nobody else could have done, but Christ did it. He won a victory that we couldn't even, that we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't win. Would have been an impossibility. It's nothing new, but, um, but the Bible says in Second Timothy that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. Truly furnished and prepared for every good work, right? And so, um, so hopefully this will this will just um, help us, help help. I know it's helped me in my walk with the Lord, and and hopefully um, you as well. Um, I want to start in Leviticus. If we could grab your Bibles and turn to Leviticus chapter number sixteen. Way back in the Old Testament, almost at the very very beginning of the Bible here, Leviticus chapter number sixteen. And this is um, a uh, chapter dealing with sacrifice. And uh, you can remain seated as I I, want to just read through this and um, we'll probably be jumping around a little bit. But let's start here in Leviticus chapter number 16. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of his two sons, after the death of the two sons of Aaron, and when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in a cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat. I'm going to get this out, out here. We can still hear, right? Sorry, this was right, right in my way. (laughs) He shall put on a holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are the holy garments. Where therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on? And he shall take off the take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering. And one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon the Lord's, which, which the Lord's lot fell, ...and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat... ...shall be presented alive before the Lord... ...to make an atonement with him... ...and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering... ...which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself... ...and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering... ...which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals... ...of fire from off the altar before the Lord... And his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and upon the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering... That is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with the blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place, until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about, and he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hollow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And when he had made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat and Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the live of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities unto the land not inhabited and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness and Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation and shall put off the linen garments which he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave the, and shall leave them there and he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall he, be, shall he burn on the altar. And he, he that let go the goat from the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make an atonement in the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp and they shall burn the fire burn it in fire, their skins and their flesh, and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. Now this is what I really want to focus on. So we're talking about atonement, we're talking about, about sacrifice, sacrifices, really the, the sacrificial law that God laid out for the nation of Israel. And this is just one of the sacrifices that God told Israel to, to observe. Um, and this is, this is part of Israel's history. This is something that actually happened something that, that was integrated within, within the religious system of Israel and something that they had to do f- quite frequently. This particular sacrifice was on the Day of Atonement, which came every year. And you'll see that here in a second. And it was something uh, that they had to observe every year before the Lord. And it was for a specific reason, and that reason was, <clears throat> was for sin. They had a lot of sacri- different sacrifices in the Bible, by the way. In the Old Testament, they had um, sacrifices of praise, they had, um, they had fruit, vegetable sacrifices, right, they had, they had, um, dove, they had goat, they had lamb, they had bullocks, they had all these different sacrifices for different things, and if you read, actually, the first, I believe, nine chapters of Leviticus, it's, it's just different sacrifices for different trespasses, right, different things, different things you had to sacrifice, sacrifice animals, and, and it was so, um, to me, it kind of gets a little confusing, Right? But this is the one that sticks out. And in my my opinion, and I believe before the Lord as well, this is the most important of the sacrifices that God told Israel to observe. This particular sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. He goes on in verse number 29, "...and this shall be the statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month..." So he's giving specifics here. "...in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your soul, and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country..." Or a stranger that sojourneth among you, for on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest, whom shall anoint, uh, whom he shall anoint and whom he shall con- consecrate to minister in the priest's office, in his father's stead shall make the atonement, And shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. And he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation and for the altar. And he shall make an atonement for the priest and for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Sacrifices. So, again, this is something that was, that was huge in the nation of Israel and something that God commanded Israel to observe. Um, it's always been an integral part of, of, of humans' relationship with God, though. And we see that way back in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, the very first first sacrifice that, that happened was back in Genesis when, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, right? What did God do to cover the nakedness and shame of Adam and Eve. Does anybody remember? You you can talk, it's okay. He sacrificed a lamb, right? God killed, he killed an animal, and used the coat of that animal to cover their nakedness and shame. And and from that time on, we see um, Cain and Abel, right? They bring sacrifice to God. One was accepted, the other wasn't. And we see we see um, Abraham, we see Moses, we see Aaron, of course. We see uh, the nation of Israel. We see into the prophets and priests and the, the kings and the judges and all of, these, all of these people, all of Israel throughout literally all of history um, observing these sacrifices. So you see it in, in the Old Testament, but then, of course, we, we, we get to the New Testament and it's kind of something happens there. That we're going to get into um, a little bit later. We have Leviticus 16, though the Day of Atonement. This sacrifice had to be held every year, and we see that it was. I mean, it w- it, it w- should have been, and it was held throughout the the centuries, that for hundreds of years. Honestly, from from this point on, until the the time of the New Testament, hundreds of years, this sacrifice was held. But in this sacrifice, I want to I dive a little bit deeper because the Bible, the Bible talks about this sacrifice specifically that it has a fault. And I want to look at that. If you, look, if you would, we're going to be turning a lot of different places here um, in the Bible, so get your fingers ready. Here we go. We're going to start off in Hebrews chapter number 8. Hebrews chapter number 8 in verse 7 is where we're going to start with, with this sacrifice on the, the Day of Atonement, the Atonement sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 8 and number 7. The Bible says, for if that first covenant had been, look at this word, faultless. So the first covenant that God made with, with mankind was the covenant of, of these, these sacrifices and the priesthood and the um, and the forgiveness of sins and how, how reconciliation was made right b- before God. So he says here, if this first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Verse number eight, for finding fault with them, he saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So he he says that these this covenant that was made for, for, towards Israel, to Israel, there was a fault. Now, this isn't, this isn't my words. This is God's words. I'm not at all accusing God of, of creating something with a fault. We know that everything that God does is good, right? Honestly, the fault is on the man's part, if you, if you read the Bible, that they, they couldn't keep that covenant. That covenant was between man and God, right? And they, they couldn't keep their end of the covenant at all. And so, um, and so there was fault in that covenant. So what did what what did we do? What did God do to 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 help with that fault? I, I when I think of the word fault, I think my mind automatically went to like a, a fault line in the earth, right? And um, we have a, a fracture, a weak a point of weakness is what it is. A point of weakness. And this old this old sacrificial system, this old covenant had a weakness. So even with the old sacrifice, there seemed to be um, other elements that God required, that God appreciated, if you will. Let's look at them. If we, if we, if you want to turn, you can. We have Psalms fifty-one. This is a, a very well-known psalm. Actually, Pastor preached out of it not too long ago. Um, Psalms fifty-one in verse sixteen and seventeen. Um, so we know that God required sacrifice there in the Book of Leviticus and uh, throughout. ...majority of the beginning of the Bible there, but, but David sinned, right? And so as a result of David's sin, what did the Bible command him? What did the Old Testament law command David to do as a result of that sin? To get atonement, to get reconciliation from God. He was to sacrifice, right? But there was something else that David realized that God looked for above sacrifice. If we look at this in, in Psalms chapter 51 and verse 16... The Bible says, David said, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offerings. And look what he says. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. So David delves a little deeper into what God is looking for. Above sacrifice. He said... David obviously sinned, we know the story of his sin with Bathsheba, but he said, he said, you don't desire, sac- that's not what you're, that's not what you're looking for. Or I would have given it to you. David realized that the sacrifice that God was looking for was a broken and contrite heart. It went deeper than just the outward sacrifice, it was a matter of the heart. If you want to, uh, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 21, the next book over, Proverbs 21. Continuing this thought of, of what God required above the sacrifice, Proverbs 21 and verse 3, look at what he, at what he says, the writer says here, to do justice and judgment is more acceptable than sacrifice. What, what is he hitting on here? What is the, the, what is the, the psalmist hitting on? What is um, Solomon hitting on here in Proverbs? He's, he's hitting on something deeper than just sacrifice, having to do with the issue of the heart, right? Um, the, Samuel recognized, um, recognized the issue of the heart whenever he went to pick out, pick out a king out of the sons of Jesse, right? He went through all the sons, and he said, and God turned down every one until we got to David, and of course Samuel's first instinct was, well, this is the youngest. Surely he can't be king. But what did God say? He said, Man saw, man's looking on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. The heart was the issue. Isaiah, we're going to read a couple of verses here in Isaiah chapter number 1. Isaiah chapter number 1, starting in verse 11. The fault of the sacrifice. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11. The question is asked, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me. God is questioning Israel about their sacrifices. He says, what is the purpose? He says, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the fed beast, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations, incense, and abominations unto me. The New Moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of the assembly i cannot I cannot away with it. it is iniquity, even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth they are trouble unto me, I am weary to bear them, and when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood, and of course we know. We know Israel's sin. We know how they departed. How they, I mean, he calls them several times here stiff-necked people, right? How they departed from the Lord. But, but God said, your sacrifices, if, if, we, if we look at the letter of the law, so to speak, we would say that Israel um, should be justified because they are offering these sacrifices, right? But God said, I'm, I'm sick of them. I'm sick of your sacrifices. If sacrifice was all that God required, they should have been justified. But it wasn't. He required something deeper. 1 Samuel, chapter 15, we have a story of of Saul. um, uh, And I'm I'm so bad with names, but when he attacked attacked this army, right, and God told Saul, through Samuel, to completely decimate this nation. Do you remember what Saul did? He, he, He went in and he... He carried out most of God's command, right? But he brought, the, he brought the, the best of the bulls and the best of the sheep and the best of the goats, right? I mean, we're talking about thousands and, and tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of animals that, that Saul salvaged. And when Samuel went to address this to Saul, what, what did Saul say? Oh, I did it for sacrifice. I'm going to bring God the, the greatest sacrifice in history, right? And what was Samuel's response to Saul. He said, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Again, we see here there's, there's a, a deeper issue than just sacrifice. Last one here, thinking about the um the the error, the fault in your sacrifice. Um well, you, you guys probably know it. It's in the book of Micah. It's, it's talking about um, what, should I, what, should I, what does the Lord require of me? Would he be pleased with thousands of rams or with, with rivers of oil? And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here for time's sake. But um, he says, but he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with thy God. Micah brings up, he says, Should we should we sacrifice? Should we even give the first our firstborn? The, our firstborn to the Lord, sacrifice him to the Lord. Would God be pleased with that? The best that we have to offer, sacrificing to the Lord. Is that what God requires of us? But no, he takes a step back, and again he says, It's not completely about the sacrifice. Why is that? Because, again, if we go back to Hebrews, um, God himself said that there was, there was a fault. There was, there was something that wasn't making this system, this sacrificial system, this, let, me, let me say it this way, this Old Testament, complete. Something was missing. Specifically with the atonement sacrifice. Back to Hebrews. We're going to be spending a lot of time there, by the way. I don't know if you've got a little piece of paper you want to stick, stick there in the book of Hebrews. But Hebrews chapter 10. In verse number 1. He says this. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never... Look at, look at this. Such interesting wording here. Can never... With those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, the atonement sacrifices make the comers thereunto perfect. He said they could, that could never happen. But, but what, wasn't that what God said they should do? Didn't God say that they should offer these sacrifices? And didn't he even go on to say that with these sacrifices that they would cleanse the people with them? That's what He said. But there was a fault. It says here, the writer of Hebrews says here that it it could never make the comers perfect. It wasn't wasn't working. It wasn't going to happen. For then, look at what he says, would they not have to cease, would they not have ceased to be offered? Okay, so let me reason with you here for a second. Right? He says, if, if the sacrifices were capable of making an individual perfect there wouldn't be any more need for sacrifice. Right? That's logical. If this sacrifice makes me perfect, I would no longer sin. And if I would no longer sin, I would no longer need a sacrifice. But it didn't. Because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience for sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance made, again, made of sins, Every year. Every year they had, to, they had to offer these sacrifices. Every year they had to do this, um, fulfill this law that God had told them to do. There was a remembrance of this sin. For it is not possible. Look at this. Look at these two words. Such powerful words. For it is not possible. He goes on. That the blood of bulls and goats should, and then two other words, take away sin. Sin. It is an impossibility. If I had, if I had this goat, let me let me follow the letter of the law to the T. Let me let me get this, this sheep who's without spot, without blemish, right? Perfect. Um, we're gonna get, we're gonna get we're gonna get a bullock, we're gonna get two goats, we're gonna, it says that they cast lots over the goat, right? Um, to see which would be the scapegoat, to see which would be the one that they sacrificed. They would bring this goat. They they did everything perfect. And even following the letter of the law, even, even if they did everything perfect. It would not. It wasn't possible, he says, to make him to make him clean, because tomorrow, after they offer that sacrifice, this guy over here tells a lie, right? And now, what has to happen? Because if we look at the transgression, the the back in Leviticus, the first couple chapters in Leviticus, um, a transgression means you got to have another sacrifice, right? An impure thought, you got to have another sacrifice. So it was, there was this, there was this, this fault here. We, we couldn't reach perfection. And by the way, guys, what does God require? Be ye holy, for I am holy. In order for me to come before God, in order for, the, let, me, let me take it from, from, from this perspective. In order for the, for, the, for the high priest to go into the holy of holies, what did he have to do before the day of atonement? He had to get a bullock, and he had to sacrifice the bullock for himself before he could even think about going in there and making the sacrifice for the people. Because God required perfection in order to come into his presence, which which he's totally just in that requirement. Because he's holy. Anything less would take away from God's holiness. So, so here's the issue. We have sin present, right? And if we read Romans 3.23, it sums it all up right there, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard it said all means all and that's all all means, right? and that's So that's every one of us. I, 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 if I take a raise of hands, every one of us would raise their hand saying, I have sinned. And if you haven't, if you don't raise your hand, then you're telling a lie, and so you just sinned, and so just just stick it up anyways, right? Because all have sinned. I mean, that's what the Bible says. Um, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 22, the Bible says, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin. To go on, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, for there is not a just man on the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Okay, so so... By the word of the scripture, we are all condemned sinners. Okay? That's, that's inarguable. I don't know if that's a word, but it's a good word. It's, we, can't, we can't argue that point. So, so, again, we have the issue that we, we've all sinned and that we all continue to sin. So, so I'm talking about the issue with this sacrifice. And, and with, really with the, the fault in the Old Testament, as God put it. Okay, so the sin is present. The next thing that we have is blood being required. If you're there in Hebrews chapter... Uh, you could look, just turn back a page probably to chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, the Bible says, And almost all things are by the law purged with what? Blood. And he goes on to say that without the shedding of blood is no remission. In other words, if we take the blood out of the equation, there would never be remission. That's what he said. Okay, so let's let's talk about me, me trying to justify me trying to be justified before God. How would I do it? I would have to shed blood. That that is a prerequisite to me coming before God. The priest had to do it, the children of Israel had to do it, um, you and I have to do it. Blood has to be shed. Because it says here that without the shedding of blood is no remission. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh the atonement for the soul. Do you see that? Blood is required. So talking about this sacrificial system. Number one, we have sin is present. The second thing we have, the, that, that blood is required. And the, the, the third thing is that the sacrifice is insufficient. And we saw that in Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 4, right? That it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away, this, should take away sin. The sacrifice was insufficient. So we have a conundrum here, a catch-22. We all sin, Right? okay so here, here it is here's the problem the, the the okay, we all sin blood is required and sacrifice is insuffi- is insufficient okay so let's let's turn that around if I sinned I would have to sacrifice and shed blood but the sacrifice isn't sufficient to take away my sin. you see that do you see what's going on here some there's there's something missing in in And God realized this because we all continue to, the nation of Israel continue to harden their heart. They continue to be a stiff-necked people. And we do that today, by the way, probably more than we want to admit. So so what does God do? We have, and of course, you guys have read read the Bible before, I'm sure you know, and I love, I love how the Bible talks about this, this mystery hidden in Christ from the, the foundation of the world, right? This amazing thing that, that, that God came up with um, was to be a perfect sacrifice. So, I, I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and read this one more time. Because this is so powerful, what does he say here? Hebrews 10, verse 4. I want you to listen to this, because if you don't get anything out of, out of tonight, listen to this. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should, these three words, take away sins. To take, it, it might cover them. It was what God required, so it was what they had to do. It might cover them, but it could never, it wasn't possible for them to take that sacrifice, to take away the sins. But look at this. If you you can, turn with me here to John chapter number 1. John chapter 1. Thinking about this verse that we just read, it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins sin. John chapter, I'm sorry, I said um, John chapter 1 in verse 29. Did I say 1 or 21? I don't remember. John chapter 1 in verse number 29. Thinking about this verse, it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. What does John the Baptist say when he sees Jesus Christ in John 1, 29? He says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and he saith, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. <sighs> so powerful. We have hundreds of years previous to this. The sacrificial system was in play, and they had to every year sacrifice before, before the Lord. They had to every year follow follow this, this, this ritual that God gave them in order for their sins to be atoned. On top of that, they had to really, really paramount to that. They had to have that heart that David talked about, right? But even with that sacrifice, it wasn't possible for that sacrifice to take away sins. And yet John realized, as as soon as he saw Jesus coming down down to be baptized, he realized something. He realized that this was the final sacrifice. This was the Lamb of God, which would actually have the capability. This, This man, Jesus would actually have the capability to take, to remove those sins, to take them away. So what's different about this new covenant? So we have, if I, if I can just review real quick, the, the, that, that sin was present, that blood was required, that sacrifice was insufficient. So what do we have? What's new? We have... That Jesus Christ, and we know this story: how he, how he was crucified, how he was, how he suffered a, uh, the worst death imaginable. Right? He was sacrificed; his blood was shed. So, with that sacrifice, we have, of course, John twenty-one, John one twenty-nine. He talks about taking away, but we have Second Corinthians as well, five twenty-one. What does he say? He says, um, "He became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him." Right? What did he do? He took that sin on himself, and he gave us his righteousness. He not only completely removed sin, but at salvation, he replaced it with his, with his everlasting bank of righteousness, right? That transaction that was made was, was made for you and I. It was a, it was a transaction of, my, of his robes for mine, like, like the song sings, right? My sin for his righteousness, Isaiah chapter 53, uh, we're running out of time, so I'm not going to read it, but Isaiah chapter 53, such a powerful prophecy of what Christ did on the cross. How he was bruised for our transgressions, he was um, for our iniquities. The ch- here it is the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The Bible says that, that God saw. The, the chastisement of his soul and was satisfied. That was enough. That was sufficient. That sin, all the sin that you and I have on our accounts can be taken away because the Lamb of God can do that. It wasn't possible for the old sacrificial system to do that, but this final sacrifice completed that it, it it fixed that error, it fixed that fault there. First John 1:21, verse two says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we had that problem, that first problem, that sin is present, but then we have what Jesus Christ does; he takes it away. The second one was blood would be required, and what did Jesus Christ do? In Matthew chapter twenty six verse twenty eight. When when looking forward to his death, having that Last Supper with His disciples, he said, For this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remissions of sin, prophesying his death on the cross. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What did he do? The blood was required, so what did Christ do? He shed his blood. And he took that blood just as it says when we read there in in the book of Leviticus, chapter 16. The high priest had to go into the the Holy of Holies with this blood and, and sprinkle it seven times. Do you remember reading that on the mercy seat? What did Jesus Christ do? With his own blood. He went to the Holy of Holies. He went to the throne room of God. And that's, that blood is what was required because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. So, This first problem, sin was present. What did Christ do? He took it away. This second second one, blood would be required. What did Christ do? He shed his blood. The last one, sacrifice. The sacrifices were insufficient. And we have Christ being the complete, the sufficient sacrifice, right? In Hebrews chapter 10, back to there. I'm sure you still have your fingers there. Hebrews chapter 10. A couple of verses here, in verse number, starting in verse number 5. I want to just read these because they're such powerful verses. Wherefore, Hebrews 10 verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body. Look at that, a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifices and offerings, and burnt offerings... In offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither has pleasure, in, pleasure therein when are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By which we are sanctified through the offerings of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering in, the off- in offering oftentimes... The same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. Verse 14, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The insufficiency of the sacrifice on the day of atonement. What did Christ do? He perfected it. He completed it. Why don't we have to sacrifice anymore? Because Christ completed that system. He he took us, he transitioned us from the Old Testament, from the old way, which by the the way, if you read the book of Hebrews, it calls it the old way, and then it calls the New Testament a better way, right? Which it is. It is. When was the last time you guys had to sacrifice something? Hopefully, never, right? Because Christ completed it. He died once for all. His sacrifice is complete. Oh, what a Savior! Jesus Christ, the complete sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Hey, do you know at salvation? whenever you accept by faith the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, do you realize that at that moment, your sins are taken away? I'm not talking about the sins that you've you've committed in the past. Otherwise, we're back in this old system, and we're going to have to keep offering sacrifices. The Bible teaches that your sins, the past, the present, and the future all been removed that's why paul can say in romans chapter 8 there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus because they're not we are not condemned god doesn't look at us in condemnation because because of this ephesians says that we're in christ right read the book of ephesians chapter 1 and 2 especially man so powerful but if I can just have a couple of minute, a couple of minutes. I know we're out of time. <clears throat> Somebody showed me this this as an example um, picturing the Bible as Jesus Christ which which I think is biblical, right? By the way, he uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So picturing the Bible as Jesus Christ who was perfect, who was the spotless lamb of God, who deserved nothing that he went through, right? And me, as a skinny little pen, skinny little pin right here, right? The Bible teaches in, in Ephesians that we are we are in Christ, and so and in in Romans chapter six as well, it talks about us being being crucified with Christ and being buried with Christ and rising again with Christ. And so, if I can, um, how does it work? How does how does my salvation work? Because doesn't the Bible say that 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 sin requires blood, didn't we just talk about that, the sacrifice, Uh, sin requires sacrifice, the blood, right? Doesn't it say that the wages of sin, the payment for my sin is death? And I'm not just talking about death, I'm talking about the, the wrath of God, as the Bible says that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness of men, right? And so how does this work? It works because Michael Carpenter was placed in Christ. And so now, because I'm in Christ, what did Christ do for me? The Bible says, in, in Isaiah, talking about, pro- prophesying about the death of Christ, that, that, that he, God's son, experienced the wrath of God. And all of this wrath, on the, for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he took all of my punishment. I'm here, but Christ is the one that took it. He took it all. He took all my punishment. He died. But when he died, what happened? He was buried. Right? Romans says I was buried with him. Romans chapter 6. I was buried with him. That's my death. That's the death that, that is required for sin. Because by the way, if you're saved here, death is not death. Death is not the death I was talking about in Romans 3.23. Death is, is the homecoming Isn't isn't that what the Bible talks about? Doesn't the Bible promise that that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord? Doesn't it say that at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore? How is that death? But Christ died. And at salvation, I died with Christ. I was buried. And then what would happen? Three days later, Christ rose again. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even say, according to Ephesians chapter 1, that I'm in heavenly places with Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians, and that all things that pertain to life and godliness, according to 1 Peter, all things that pertain to life and godliness are mine through Jesus Christ. The blessings that Christ gave because of his sacrifice, he didn't just take away my sins, he didn't... It, the sacrifice of Christ wasn't just to take away the sins of the world, but it was to give me hope of eternity. It was to give me the blessings of becoming, as we've been talking about in Galatians, becoming um, adopted as his children. I could go on because this just, this just opens the door. The sacrifice of God and me accepting Christ as my Savior and, and realizing that he took the punishment for my sins, that his sacrifice is complete. Folks, that's just the beginning. That just opens the door to what God has in store for you as his children because it is so much more. The Christian life is so much more than just salvation. It's, it's, a, it's abiding in Christ. It's walking with Christ. It's living your life with Christ. And what a wonderful journey that, that is, has been, and will continue to be. Because Christ realized, because God knew that there was fault in the old sacrificial system. And he took the steps because it was impossible for me to do so. And you. He took the steps to come to you and say, I'm going to give you a new way, a new testament through my son, Jesus Christ. What a powerful, what a great Savior.